It's so good to be here. I want to start, and I know we just stood up and did this, which I'm not going to make you stand up again, but I do want to start by honoring the Chi Alpha team. You know, Pastor Derek and the whole team uh, just really pour out their lives for you guys. I see them all week long at the church. They're working hard. They're praying. The interns are studying. They're reading like 10 books a week because Victor makes them. But uh, they work so hard. So can I have the staff and interns stand up really quick? I'm, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. That includes you, Taylor. Just It's all across this room. All right, Taylor, come on. All right, let's go. John Griffin, way to go, buddy. All right, you guys can sit down. But, but yeah, these uh, uh, staff members and interns, they really pour out their lives for you. So I just wanted to honor them. And I want to say to you, I'm so thankful to have this opportunity to share with you all. Ten years ago, I was a freshman on the campus here, and I had this burning passion to reach every student with the gospel. I remember I got baptized in the Holy Spirit at Fall Retreat, and then I got back, and I remember walking around with one of my friends and, and just dreaming with him and saying, could we reach every student on campus? And honestly, I felt overwhelmed and unequipped to do it. I was only a freshman. I hardly really knew the Bible at that point, but I had this burden from God. And then six years ago, I got to come and be the director of Chi Alpha and got to do that for five years, as Pastor Derek shared. And I never would have dreamed that Chi Alpha would be where it is today. I had big dreams of like, oh, we'll fill up the auditorium, like kind of vague stuff like that. But the fact that there's so many people coming through our ministry right now that are going into full-time ministry, there's so many small group leaders who are making disciples and make disciples, I never would have dreamed of that. The Chick-fil-A party, I never would dream that people would actually show up to something like that. Like when I first came back as the director, I didn't do any outreach just because I was too scared that nobody would show up. So I just, you know, put on services and said, I hope somebody comes to that. But it's been amazing to see how Chi Alpha has grown and developed over these last few years. As Pastor Derek said, I'm the lead pastor of Scent Church. If you haven't been to Scent Church yet, can you just come one time? That's all I ask. Okay, one time. I, I really think you'll love it. If nobody's invited you yet, let me personally invite you to join us. We have two service times. So if you're an early bird, you can come at 9 a.m. Or if you want to sleep in, you can come at 11. And don't ever tell me that you overslept the 11 o'clock service. Okay, if you're oversleeping 11 o'clock service, we got to have a, an intervention meeting, okay? But yeah, this week, Pastor Derek, who happens to be my brother, asked me to preach on the spiritual gift. So he gave me a really easy topic. Thank you, Pastor Derek. And while, on a serious note, while Scripture and the Gospel are the foundation of this ministry, or Scripture, the Gospel, are the foundation of Chi Alpha, the prophetic and the gifts of the Holy Spirit really have animated Chi Alpha over the last 10 years. If it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit, Chi Alpha would not be where it is today. During an afternoon of my sophomore year, I was out by the union and a crazy street preacher was telling all the students that they were going to hell. Does that still happen on campus or not? Okay. And naturally, a crowd formed around him. And I think it's always funny because this happens every year and there's always students that are like, I'm going to show him who's boss and he's going to like change his mind. And, and there's a ton of students, if that's you, I'm not judging you, okay? I did it too when I was a freshman. But anyways, so naturally, a crowd formed around him, and I ended up connecting with this student who I found out was an atheist, and we had a conversation, and, and he was asking me some difficult questions about the Bible and about Jesus, and I was a new Christian, so I really didn't know the Bible that well. I remember in Humanities 1 class, they told me I had to read the whole Torah before like September 10th and school started like August 25th and I didn't read the whole Torah, okay? So I really didn't know the Bible that well. But, but one of the things he pressed me about was this question of why a God who is all powerful and 
all loving would let people go to hell. Like if he's completely powerful and he's completely loving, why would he let people go to hell? Why wouldn't he just change our hearts so we could all be in heaven with him? And that question, I didn't know how to answer. It sent me into inner turmoil. I wanted to find the answer. I'm an answer guy. I like to find the answer. I could not come up with it. And for some reason, it was just eating me alive. And that night, I went to Chi Alpha. I played on the worship team. That year, I actually led worship. It wasn't a good site, so you never want to hear that. But I led worship, and, and we're setting up the sound equipment as we always do every week. And, and the worship leader, one of the other worship leaders, said, hey, I need to talk to you in the hallway. And meanwhile, I'm going through this inner turmoil. I'm thinking about that question. I'm wondering, how does all this work? Why, or why would a loving God send people to hell? And she brings me out to the hallway, and she says, Daniel, I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would give me uh, the gift of prophecy. I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would give me specifically a prophetic word for you. You've been on my heart for weeks, and I've been praying for you, and that God would give me a message for you. So a prophetic word is essentially when God gives someone a message for another person or for a community. And she said something along the lines of this. She said, Daniel, God has revealed to me that you have been worrying about the specifics of why some people go to hell and others don't. And he's told me to tell you to stop worrying about this. It's not your job to know everything about why and how God works the way he does. Instead, he wants you to just trust him. I was shook. She had no idea what was going on in my brain that night. I had never had someone know things about me that they weren't supposed to know. And the only way she could have known that was if the Holy Spirit himself spoke to her. I went back into the Communication Arts Center, room 108. Is that still where morning prayer is at? Okay, that's where Kyle started. I went back into that room, and I could not even practice for the worship team. I laid on the ground, and I wept like a baby for an hour. And why did I weep? I wept because God saw me. He knew what I was going through. And he cared enough to tell Kathy to give me that word. The pressure I was feeling about theological things, it wasn't just that theological issue. There was, there was a lot of issues I was wrestling with. It all just kind of lifted off my chest. God just wanted me to trust him in the midst of the mystery. In that moment, I saw the, or the raw power of the spiritual gifts. I realized why Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says this, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Paul knew that we need prophecy in the gifts of the Holy Spirit if we're going to fully step into what God has for us. The Western church specifically has quenched the Holy Spirit. Generally speaking, we have despised prophecy. While we see the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit on the regular in the global south and in the east, the the Western church has struggled to see God move supernaturally. And there's a number of reasons for this. Maybe you're one of those people you are like, hey, I don't even know what the spiritual gifts are, or I kind of know what they are, but they seem really weird. Like maybe you grew up in a tradition that doesn't teach about it, and you're wondering, like, why don't we see this as a more normative thing in the Western church? Why didn't I hear it taught on? Well, there's a few reasons. One of them is tradition. That's part of the reason why we haven't experienced the spiritual gifts. In the New Testament, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which Pastor Derek talked about last week, and the spiritual gifts were expected and regularly experienced. And the problem was not convincing these people that God could move powerfully in this way. That wasn't the problem for people living in the Middle East in the first century. But it was in making sure 
that the church didn't get too crazy and scare non-believers away. They were, the concern was that they would get too obsessed with seeing the supernatural that they pushed other people who were non-believers away. The concern was not that they needed to practice more spiritual gifts. They practiced them so much. However, as the church grew and developed and new generations of church leaders came in, the church grew into an institution. And the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, like speaking in tongues, prophecy, those kind of things, they began to cease. And ministry began to be viewed as something that only church leaders did. And because of this, the supernatural working of the Spirit, it wasn't needed for the common church member anymore. Spiritual things were for the clergy. And thankfully, in the 1500s, if you've been in history class, the church reformed. And ministry began to be put into the hands of regular people again. Out of this reformation, then many strands of Christianity sprung up. And this is why we have so many different denominations today. You're wondering, why do we have so many denominations? Well, because we had a reformation. The church was one church before, the Catholic church. And there's reformation. And then a bunch of people were fighting about what they believed about the Bible because everybody could look at the Bible for themselves. And that's why we got a billion denominations today. Eventually, in the 1900s, branches of Christianity began to take root that began seeking the spiritual gifts again. They saw them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14, which we'll look at. And they began to seek them for today. And for the last uh, 120 years, we've seen an explosion of people who believe in and practice the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And also we've seen an explosion in people who seek spirit baptism. And within almost every denomination today, if you grew up in a different denomination, chances are there's somebody in your church who speaks in tongues. Because it has spread throughout almost every denomination. There are people who practice the gifts, although some of them might do it privately because they don't want the pastor to get mad at them. There are still many traditions that either don't believe that the spiritual gifts are for today or they just don't practice them. They may believe in them, but they don't really know practically how to practice them. And the reason for that is not so much scripture as much as it is tradition. 1,500 years of churches not seeking and practicing uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit is tough to unravel, and we're still inheriting those traditions today. We need to make sure, though, that we're not making our theological structure or framework out of tradition, but out of Scripture. Okay, And that's what we're going to do tonight. We'll look at Scripture. But the second reason why people don't practice the gifts in the Western church is lack of experience. It's closely linked to the first one, but there's... There's many people that just don't have experience with the gifts, and they don't know how to practice them. Within this category, there's really two groups within this category of lack of experience. There's one group who they haven't experienced them. They're open to them, but again, they just don't really know how to practice them. But then there's another group that has tried to fit Scripture into their experience. Because they haven't experienced the spiritual gifts, they tend to twist Scripture to say that the spiritual gifts are not for today. Which leads me to the third reason why some don't believe in the spiritual gifts or practice them, which is interpretation of Scripture. Okay, so some people genuinely believe that Scripture teaches that the spiritual gifts cease at the close of the New Testament. So once the New Testament was formed, the gifts aren't needed anymore. Attempts to back this belief with Scripture are very weak. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's not a good Scripture argument. However, there is one argument that comes from Scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'll just briefly touch on it. It says this. Paul says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will cease. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
Okay, so some people believe that what Paul is saying here is that when Scripture was formed, when the New Testament was completed, that was the perfect, and now we don't need spiritual gifts anymore. However, that's simply not what Paul is saying. Paul, I believe the Bible is perfect, okay? I'm not saying that it's not. But Paul certainly was not talking about the close of the New Testament. He was talking about the return of Jesus when we'll be with him face to face. That's the perfect. That's just a bad interpretation of Scripture to say that would be the close of the New Testament. All right, so I think we're on the fourth reason. It might be the 17th reason. I don't know. But the fourth reason is rationalism and skepticism. Okay, rationalism and skepticism. In the 18th century, the Enlightenment swept across the Western world. And maybe you learned about this in humanities class. A basic idea of the Enlightenment was the belief that there was that belief in God in the supernatural was purely superstitious. The only reason that people would believe in God was because they needed an explanation for things they did not understand. If we can achieve enough scientific advancement, we won't need God anymore. That was the idea that undergirded the enlightenment. Although most people here tonight probably believe in God, or at least you're open to God, or else you probably wouldn't have come to Chi Alpha. We do have this, we have let this tendency to be skeptical about everything and about miracles and the supernatural, we've let it seep into our ways of thinking. The rational... The Enlightenment has formed us even hundreds of years later. It has shaped Western society. And this has led us to be skeptical about the spiritual gifts. We want science and reason to back everything up. Something that we can't explain with our, our minds, we, we typically just say, I don't really want that. All right, the last reason is reaction to the counterfeit. Okay, there's many people, I'm just going to say it. Or my least favorite Christians are my, okay, my most, or my favorite Christians are charismatic. I'm charismatic, okay? I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I love charismatic Christians or Pentecostal Christians, whatever you want to call them. But also my least favorite Christians are Pentecostal and charismatic. Okay, because there's some weird people out there. They do some crazy stuff. There's some like, I've heard crazy stories. That's going to be a total side note. I'll joke around with you after service. But the point is, there's some weird people out there. It's, it seems like churches like us or, or groups like us, we attract weird people. And weird people do weird things, okay? So sometimes we might see that there's some weirdos in a certain movement that are doing things that aren't biblical or extra biblical. And we'll say, you know what? I don't know what that is, but I definitely don't want that. Okay, if that's what speaking in tongues is, is barking like a dog and doing weird stuff, a uh, serious story, then I don't want that. If encountering the Holy Spirit means I need to get knocked over off my feet, then I don't want that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but the point I'm making is sometimes we react to the counterfeit or to excess and say, I don't want that. I want normal Christianity, okay? But my encouragement to you is to say, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Just because some people who believe in spiritual gifts don't practice them correctly doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue them. With all this said, I believe that the overwhelming testimony of Scripture and my own experience is that we need spiritual gifts today. They are vital to us being the people that God has called us to be. One of the reasons that the church pressed forward with such tenacity and strength in the first century was that the supernatural was common in the church. Just read the book of Acts. It's insane the kind of stuff that God did. We need the supernatural if we want to push the church forward in 2021. In the midst of everything going on, COVID, the political polarization, we need the power of God. 
There's no other way. I believe that revival is going to come and it's going to come through people who believe that God is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do and he's the same God of scripture. If he did it then, he can do it now. I believe that's the kind of people that revival is gonna come through. We need to believe in this for today. We need to practice it. So with that said, the question I wanna answer tonight is this. What does scripture say about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Because that's the most important thing. It doesn't matter what my experience was if scripture doesn't back it up. Okay, so what does scripture say about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and why do we need them today? And that was just my intro. I think we're 20 minutes in, so bear with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm playing, I'm playing. I'll speed up. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn there with me if you have your Bibles. If you don't, there's free Bibles somewhere around these places. I don't know. There's free Bibles somewhere, so grab some. But 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. Just a few days or not a few days, a few decades after Jesus left the earth. And renowned New Testament scholar Gordon Fee said that the first century, or first century Corinth was like the New York, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas of the ancient world all at once. It was a hub for prostitution and immorality. It was a place of excess. And the Corinthians had many issues with excess. For instance, they had issues with excess in their sexuality. And Paul deals with that in the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians. In this section of the letter, though, he deals with their excesses in worship. Okay, their worship services were cray-cray. People were getting out of control. You know, Trey was just doing the worm or something on stage. I don't know. It was getting weird. And Paul, he sought to bring order to their services. And specifically, they were all trying to speak in tongues publicly without an interpreter. So imagine if at Chi Alpha, you bring your friend. You're excited. I'm going to introduce my friend to Jesus through Chi Alpha tonight, and then everybody's speaking in tongues. How would that go? Not very well, okay? And then we'd probably get shut down, right? So be like, who are those weird people in Lang Auditorium? That's what was kind of happening. They were all trying to speak in tongues publicly without interpreters, and it was chaotic, and it didn't make any sense. And Paul writes this letter partially to bring order to their worship gatherings. And note that this is not an exhaustive explanation of spiritual gifts. The Bible did not fall out of the sky. It's not like a handbook for life. That's not what it is. Instead, these are real people dealing with real issues. So Paul is addressing issues in this church. So we kind of have to piece it together to get a theology for spiritual gifts. And what we're going to do tonight is is cover quite a bit of ground. We're going to be in 12, 13, and 14. So I want you to bear with me, but we're going to get a a holistic view of spiritual gifts. Okay, so let's start in chapter 12, verse 4 through 11. Paul says this. He says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, and to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. All right, let's pray quick. Jesus, we thank you for tonight. And God, we pray that you would move in power in this place. Holy Spirit, we don't want this to be just, or just lofty words of wisdom. God, we don't want this just, or just to be a theological explanation, but instead we want you to move in power tonight, Lord. We pray that you'd speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I tried pulling my mic off during prayer and it didn't work out. I'm almost there. All right, so 
Paul makes at least three important points about spiritual gifts here. First, he shows us that the spiritual gifts are a reflection of God's diversity. Okay, so you see a clear reference to the Trinity in verses 4 through 6. Paul says that there are a variety of gifts, but the same what? Same spirit, a variety of services, but what? The same Lord, who is Jesus, and a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Paul is telling us that just as the triune God is unified as one, but diverse as three persons, he gives spiritual gifts that are diverse in function, but unified in purpose, which is to build up the church. That's the point of spiritual gifts, to build up the church. Okay, He's also saying that spiritual gifts are given by God. They are given to us by the Spirit directly. We can't give ourselves these gifts. We can't learn our way into using them and say, God must give us the spiritual gifts. And the third thing he tells us in verse 7, again, is that these gifts are for the common good. So what are spiritual gifts for? You may ask that question. Why do I need to practice the spiritual gifts? Well, the spiritual gifts are for building up other people. These gifts are not for our own indulgence, but to benefit the community we're a part of. Do you know that if you step into the calling to practice spiritual gifts, you are going to encourage this community? God might give you a prophetic word for someone else in this community who desperately needs it, and it might change their entire life. I've experienced that myself. The story I already shared, I got a couple more for later, but, but God has absolutely shaped my life through people giving me prophetic words. What if you were used in that way? What if Chi Alpha could be built up to the next level because people are hearing from God and sharing God's words for other people? That would be amazing. That's the dream is that it would help build us up. And then in verses 8 through 10, Paul identifies the various gifts specifically. So I want to throw them on the screen. I think we have a list of all the ones he identifies, okay? So kind of read through those. I don't have time to unpack those tonight, but you can do a little research on your own time. But Paul's purpose in this passage is not to give us an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. He has a couple different lists that he gives in the New Testament. This is just one of, I think, two or three, and they're a little different every time. So there's a variety of gifts that, that you might get, but these are the ones that he identifies here. And the word that Kathy gave me my freshman year was a message of knowledge, okay? She knew something that she should not have known, okay? So that is a message of knowledge, but, but you can see the different gifts here. I want to take a moment to pinpoint a couple, okay? The first one I want to focus on is tongues, okay? So tongues can be very confusing. It's important to remember that in chapters 12 through 14, Paul is concerned about correcting some abuses with the public use of tongues. He's not seeking, again, to give an entire theological explanation of tongues, but instead he's addressing specific abuses within the Corinthian church of speaking in it publicly without an interpreter, and also they elevated it above the other gifts. And last week, Pastor Derek talked about how Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. If you missed that sermon, go back and listen to it, because some of this stuff won't make complete sense without hearing that sermon first, but I think you'll be able to track with me. We talked about how when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we get the ability to pray in tongues as a private prayer language between us and God. And we see all throughout the book of Acts, if you read the instances of the baptism in the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts, we see that when people get baptized, they speak in tongues. Okay, so it says this in Acts 10, 44 through 48. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Jesus, do it here. Come on. All who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles for, because, or they knew that, because they were speaking in tongues and extolling God. 
Okay, so this kind of tongues is something that every Christian is given when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is primarily talking about the use of tongues where someone speaks out loud in tongues during a public gathering and someone else interprets it as a message from God. And I'm going to call these two kinds of tongues private tongues and public tongues. Private and public tongues are the same in essence, but different in their purpose. Everyone is encouraged to pray in tongues privately as much as possible if God's giving you it after they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. However, tongues should only be spoken in publicly if there's an interpretation. Referring to public tongues at the end of chapter 2, Paul says this. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Okay, so the suggestion here is that all do not speak with tongues. Okay, so what is Chi Alpha and Zen Church talking about? Well, it's important to look at the context here. Paul is outlining the public use of the spiritual gifts within the body of Christ. He's not saying that we can't all speak with tongues privately after being baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is the overwhelming testimony of the book of Acts. Private tongues builds us up as individuals. And why would God give that gift to Reese or to Leo, sorry, and not me? Like, hey, hey, Leo can be built up, but Daniel doesn't get to be built up. That doesn't make any sense. With public gifts, he might give it to somebody and not the other because, hey, that person can build up the body, and then that other person can build up the body in that way, right? But when it comes to private tongues, why would he only give it to some of us? That doesn't sound like the God I know who doesn't show favoritism, right? It's available to everybody. What Paul is saying here is we should not all speak with tongues publicly, Okay, the public proclamation of tongues that is accompanied by interpretation is not something everyone is expected to operate in, nor should they operate in it. In 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Paul is doing a very fine line or fine balancing act. He's seeking to limit public tongue usage. He actually seems to be a little annoyed by it and correct its abuses while not discouraging people to pray in their private prayer language received at the baptism. Okay, you see this in chapter 14. He touches on this a little bit. He touches on private tongue usage a bit. He says this in verse 2 through 5. He says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. And for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to, their, or to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue does what? Builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Okay, so Paul here, he's explaining... They're explaining that, that when you pray in your prayer language privately without an interpreter, it's just you and God communicating in the spirit realm. You don't even know what you're praying, but you're communicating with God in the spirit realm. You are uttering mysteries in the spirit. It builds you up and it does not build anyone else up. But then he says this in verse 5. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. Whoa, Paul, didn't you just say that we all don't speak in tongues? No, I want you all to pray in tongues privately. But even more, to prophesy. Because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Why? 
Because you get built up, the church gets built up when prophecy happens, unless someone interprets. Okay, so later on he says in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. If Paul speaks in tongues more than all of us, I want to speak in tongues more because I want to beat the apostle Paul in praying in tongues. That's like a challenge. Okay, let's pray in tongues more than the apostle Paul. He's so confident in himself. He's a big dog. But anyways, he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather... Uh, speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Okay, so okay, so Paul, he wants us all, thank you, Pastor Derek, for the sermon. Paul wants us all to speak in tongues, and he spoke in tongues more than all of us. So he is by no means trying to discourage us from praying in our private language. However, when in public he wants us to focus on prophecy or only speaking in tongues when we have an interpreter, Paul loved speaking in tongues. He didn't want to discourage people from speaking in tongues in private. Verse 27 and 28, he gives a little more guidelines for it publicly. He says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three in each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, shut your mouth and speak to, your, or speak to yourself and God. Okay? That's my translation. Just trying to make sure you're awake. Okay, so in summary, our goal in a gathering should always be to instruct others which happens best through prophecy or through the interpretation of tongues. So people can actually understand what's being said. With that said, let me summarize the two different uses of tongues. And we can talk more about this. If you have questions, I'd love to talk more with you privately. Okay, the first, private tongues, it's available to all. It's given at spirit baptism. It's a prayer language that builds you up. Okay, relevant passages, if you want to write those down, double check me. I invite that. Go for it. Just write those down. Acts 2, 8, 10, 19, Romans 8, 26 through 27, 1 Corinthians 14, and so on. And then public tongues. It's available to those that the Spirit wills. It requires interpretation, and it builds up others. The relevant passages for that one you see there, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. All right, so when I was a freshman at UNI, I started dating this, this great lady named Emily, who is now uh, the mother to my going on three children. Okay, I got Two kids under three, come on. Two kids that are born under three and one kid coming. So we're going to have three kids under four. No wonder why I'm getting gray hairs. Goodness, okay. During my freshman year, I, be, I started dating her and I began to sense that God was calling me into ministry. And one of the things I was wrestling with during that season was whether I should stay at UNI to give my time to, or to making disciples on the campus or if I should leave to go get formal ministry education I was torn between the two, and I saw the value of both. And during this time, like I said, I had just started dating Emily, and she told me that at her church, they would often speak in tongues publicly and have it interpreted. And I had never seen that before. I didn't grow up in a church that did that. And I said, that sounds sweet. I was just up for anything back then. Like, whatever it is, I want it. Come on. And, and sure enough, we went to a prayer meeting at her church, and well, it's a worship time, and then prayer, and and we're worshiping, and then it gets quiet during worship. And I'm thinking, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Come on, somebody, some old lady, come on, speak in tongues. And all of a sudden, sure enough, old lady Jenkins, she stands up. That's not really her name, but she stands up. And she starts speaking in tongues, and I'm thinking, it's happening. Come on, what's going to happen? And then, then the room got quiet, and we all waited for someone to interpret it. And then just as Emily told me what happened, someone started interpreting it. And right when the person started talking, I'm like, holy crap, it's God. It's literally what I was thinking. As soon as the lady began speaking, I sensed that God was speaking directly to me. It was a holy moment. And she spoke in like perfect grammar. It sounded as if God was like literally speaking through her. 
And she said something to the effect of, I know what you're wrestling with. I know that you're worried about your future. And remember that I have never failed you in the past and I won't fail you now. I have your life in my hand. Trust me and let me worry about the details. I literally fell back in that old church pew. I'm like, holy cow, God is cool. God had just spoken to me. I was wrestling with whether or not I should go to Bible college. And God just said, again, don't worry about it. Will you just trust me? Just take the next step that I tell you to take and stop worrying about everything. I feel like that's what half my prophetic words are. Stop worrying about those things that you're worrying about. God was talking to me. He saw the struggle I was going through. And he wanted to speak to me. And I felt peace to stay at UNI for another year and a half. And, and that year and a half was so formative for me in my in my walk with Jesus and also in reaching other people with the gospel. I'm so thankful that that lady practiced tongues and another lady, the interpretation of tongues. Okay, so we see in 1 Corinthians 12 that God wants to give the body of Christ a variety of spiritual gifts so we can be built up. I've gotten to experience this firsthand. I've already shared two stories with you. We need the spiritual gifts if we want to be the people that God has called us to be. With that said, one of the issues with the spiritual gifts is they can sometimes lead people to feel like they are spiritually superior to other people. So if that's you, you got to repent tonight. Okay, it's not about you being better than somebody else. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 13, it says this. Paul goes on. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Okay, so what is he saying? He's saying that the use of the spiritual gifts must be driven by love. Okay, so both chapters 12 and 14 are devoted to instruction in the use of the spiritual gifts. And sandwiched right between those two chapters is chapter 13, which is the love chapter. You know, love is patient, love is kind. That's where that comes from. It's not about marriage. It's not about anything like that. Instead, it's actually about spiritual gifts. Same when you, or when you use the spiritual gifts, you need to have it driven by love. Okay, so the reason why Paul would put that here is it's absolutely imperative that that when we start operating in ways that are beyond our abilities, that we keep love as our, motiv or as our motivation and focus. It can be tempting to pursue these spiritual gifts or to pursue the spirit baptism because we want to get a badge of spirituality or something like that. But that's not why. We're not doing it so we can you know, think we're more spiritual than other people or show off our abilities or, or prove something to somebody. But Paul says love needs to be your motivation. When you pursue spiritual gifts, love for other people needs to be it needs to be your motivation. When you pursue the baptism of the Holy Spirit, love needs to be your motivation. You need to say, I want power so I can reach my friends. Please baptize me, Jesus, in the Holy Spirit so I can have that supernatural boldness. If you're going up there to receive it just because you want the next spiritual badge, I just don't think the Lord's going to give it to you because that's not the right motivation. We need to come up there with hunger for God to fill us so we can be used to reach people who are far from God. That has to be our motivation. Okay, so after emphasizing the importance of love, Paul continues. This is a long explanation of spiritual gifts. He continues in chapter 14. And we've already read this, but I want to read it again for our discussion, verses 1 through 5. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Who's earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts in here? There's about two of us. Come on, let's go, baby. Theodore's doing it. And we got you down here. I haven't met you yet, I don't think, but I'm excited to meet you after service. But let's go. Jack Johnson is also earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts. But that's only three out of the hundred who are here, right? We need to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So, so what does that mean, to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts? Well, uh, 
our pastor and author Sam Storms, he wrote this incredible book about the spiritual gifts with a specific emphasis on prophecy, and it's called Practicing the Power. If you're interested in prophecy, I encourage you to read that book. And he says this, he says, if we want to see the Spirit move, we must relentlessly seek Him. I believe that, that one of the reasons why spiritual gifts are less frequent in seasons of church history than in others is due to the fact that people didn't seek, pursue, or passionately and incessantly pray for these gifts. Okay, so Paul, he instructs us clearly in verse 1, he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. We must earnestly seek them out in prayer. We can't sit by idly and just hope they come to us, but instead we must ask God to give them to us. We must pray and say, God, give me the gift of prophecy. Give me gifts of healing. Give me divine faith. Give me the ability to discern spirits. And something else that sticks out to me in this passage is Paul says we should specifically pursue prophecy because it builds up the church. Again, prophecy is essentially when you are given a message from God for another. Okay, so it says this in verse 2. We're going to back up. Or verse 1, it says, especially that you may prophesy. At the end of verse 1, and then verse 2, he says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Okay, so the second thing I notice here is we should especially pursue prophecy. Okay, so prophecy, again, is when you are given a message from God for another. It could be a word of wisdom where you're given practical insight for somebody about a situation. It could be a word of knowledge where you know something that you should not know, and God has called you to share that with them so they can see that God sees them. It could be a word that could encourage someone with a specific situation. And these prophetic messages from God can come in many forms. They can come in forms of dreams or visions, impressions, internal audible voices, even sympathetic pain. Sometimes you can feel pain in a certain part of your body. You're like, hey, someone needs healed in their knee. Just weird stuff. But the point is, there's so many different ways these gifts can come, specifically prophecy can come. And Paul believed that, that we need to operate it in this gift of prophecy to be all that God calls us to be as a community. We need to hear and speak out messages from God, and they got to line up with Scripture, but messages from God so we can be the people that he's called us to be. And to get those messages, though, we have to seek God in prayer. We have to earnestly desire them. Okay, so I want to give you three quick guidelines for prophecy. The first thing, I just said it, but the revelations must be consistent with Scripture. Okay, so don't go out of here and say, Chi Alpha believes that God's still writing Scripture today. Like, we can just make up stuff that's not in the Bible and, and go for it because it's prophecy. No, the Bible, the scriptures are the foundation of everything we do. If it doesn't line up with scripture, you cuckoo. It ain't from the Lord, okay? It's got to line up with scripture. The second thing is we must share revelations with the posture of humility and subject them to evaluation. Okay, so when you share a word, don't say, thus saith the Lord. That's not a good way to do it. Instead say, I think God has revealed something to me for you. And I want to give it to you and just encourage you to see if it's from the Lord. Practicing humility can go a long way when stepping into the prophetic. In 1 Thessalonians 5, again, it says, Don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. So what does it mean to test? It's like the idea of sifting. Okay, so if you have a word in Chi Alpha, God might call you to come and share it with Pastor Derek during worship. Like, hey, I think I got a word. And Pastor Derek might say, Hey, I think you ate too much pizza that's not from God, and you need to take that and say, okay, God is, 
has placed him as the spiritual authority here, and I've tested it, and he said it's not from the Lord. Or maybe he'll say, yeah, I think that's from the Lord. Will you go ahead and share that? But the idea, and it's not just Pastor Derek, the community, right? But, but this idea that, that you subject it to sifting and to testing, this idea of testing everything, hold fast to what is good. So we want, can I just say this? We want, I'm going to speak on behalf of Pastor Derek. We want the prophetic at Chi Alpha. We want it here. And we want to hear from God during worship. I pray that God would raise up prophets in this house and would give you words and that you would come to Pastor Derek boldly and say, I think God's given me a word because one prophetic word can change someone's life forever. I just believe it. It can change a community. It can change a community. I really believe that. I'm praying that, that people would step out because I know that God has called some people in this room to step into this gift. The third thing, though, is the revelation should be encouraging. Okay, so verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their building and encouragement and consolation. Prophecy will always build up. Be careful when you're sharing negative or critical words. Sometimes hard things can be said in such a way that's encouraging. I actually got a prophetic word last weekend that was a little hard. Like, I was a little challenged, but it was encouraging overall. It's kind of like a little like, hey, buddy, get or get your crap together type of deal. But it was a good word from the Lord that I needed to hear. But the idea is that it's ultimately encouraging. I believe that God wants the prophetic to become normative in Chi Alpha and Sent Church. He wants the spiritual gifts to bring wind to ourselves. We talk about fresh wind. You want to get some fresh wind in this house, the Holy Spirit starts speaking. It's going to bring some fresh wind. I believe God wants to do that. But how do we go about seeking out these gifts and specifically walking in prophecy, well, it starts with prayer, an earnest desire. You have to have an earnest desire. In our private time and in our gatherings, we have to ask God to give us spiritual gifts. We have to zealously seek after them. Then if you believe that God has given you a gift, you must seek to act on it. The only way you're going to develop in these gifts is by practicing them and taking some risk. Okay, Operating in the Spirit's power is like a muscle. You must constantly work it to make it stronger. If you never act on it, you won't be able to develop the gift. There will be times where you totally miss it. You share a word like, I think the Lord's spoken to me. Are you going through this hard breakup? This guy you love from back home and your heart's just hurting? And that girl's like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. I've never had a boyfriend. That might happen to you, okay? But the point is, at least you're trying. You're stepping out. You're starting to understand what God's voice sounds like. You'll say, okay, that was not God's voice. I'm going to try again. But you have to step out in faith. So in summary, to operate in the gifts, you must ask him and then act. you got to ask and act. So ask for the gifts and then act when you feel like God has spoken to you. Only through prayer and, and risk-taking can we grow in this. You know, Kathy, when she shared that word uh, during my sophomore year, that as far as I know, it was the first time she shared a prophetic word. And that was 10 years ago. And now she flows in it. It's crazy. Whenever I'm going through something, I'm like, hey, can you pray? And can, if God speaks to you, can you let me know? Because I'm trying to hear from the Lord. And she flows. But it started with that one step of faith at a Chi Alpha service when she was a senior at UNI. All right, the main idea tonight is this. The Holy Spirit wants to give us spiritual gifts so that we can build up others. The Holy Spirit wants to give us spiritual gifts so we can build up each other. Throughout 2019, Emily and I began to sense that God was calling us to step into a new season, and specifically that God was calling us to plant a church. You know, we were still directing Chi Alpha here, and things were going really well. And we told the Lord, we said, if you want us to do this, you need to make it abundantly clear. 
I'm like, God, I'm 27. There's lots of big churches in Cedar Falls that are led by a lot more talented people than me. If you want me to do this, you better tell me for sure that I'm supposed to do it. Because if I do this on my own strength, it's going to fall. I just knew it. So I said, Lord, I need you to speak. And I gave him a couple of stipulations. And one of those couple of stipulations was that he needed to give me a prophetic word from somebody who knows nothing about the situation to encourage me to plant the church. I asked God for that in probably May of 2019. And I began praying and fasting and saying, God, if it's from you, I need a prophetic word. In September of that year, so about four months later, sometimes these things take time, right? It doesn't always happen as quick as, or as, quick as you want it to. Maybe you're praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it hasn't happened yet. If you're only 18, 19, 20, maybe 21, you still got some time, okay? Hopefully you live till you're 80. So keep on praying, right? But anyways, five months later, I'm at a prayer meeting in Ames. It's a Kyle for prayer meeting. We got the interns with us, the staff, and I'm honestly wanting to take a nap. I'm like, I'm not into this right now. I just drove an hour and a half for a prayer meeting. I just want to chill back here. And we had this time where we all came up to the front. We circled up and we're praying over each other. And I'm in the middle first. They make me go first. I'm like, you know, hey, what do you want prayer for? And honestly, I'm just like, like there's nothing going on in the brain like that morning. And I'm like, I don't know, whatever you want to pray for. Okay, so this, this couple begins to pray for me. And first the husband prays and he's like, he begins praying. He says, Daniel, I just sense that you have a burden from the Lord right now. There's a burden that's, that's on you. And you're wondering what the next step is in your life. You're wondering what's next. And God wants to carry that burden. And he also wants to tell you that he's taking you into a, a new dimension. He's taking you to a new place. And you're wondering, you're wondering, are you cut out for this? And God says you were born for this. God says you were born a leader. You were born to do this thing that he's asking you to do. I'm like, what? I hadn't even talked to him about this at all. And then his wife comes. And I'm telling you, women, they just flow in the prophetic. I don't know what it is. Men, we try, but women. So she starts praying. And she's like, Daniel, I got this image of you right now. You're sitting down. You got this old raggedy pair of jeans. And if you were at Scent Church this weekend, we talked about raggedy pairs of jeans during Mark 2, 18 through 22. Go ahead and take a look. But anyways, she says, you got this old raggedy pair of jeans. And there's holes in them, and you're trying to patch them up. You're trying to fix these old pair, this old pair of jeans. And God is telling you right now to put those jeans down and buy a brand new pair of jeans. And little did she know that for me, my old situation, and I'm not saying Kyle was an old pair of jeans, but where I was, was kind of the old pair of jeans. I was trying to make it work. I was trying to fix it. I was trying to make it happen. I was trying to figure out how Kyle could have a strong connection with the local church. I was trying to figure that stuff out. And God's saying, set that down and start a new thing. Start a new thing. And that's all I needed. I looked at John Griffin after that word. He was in that prayer circle. And I said, John, what did the Lord say? He's like, I think we're supposed to plant a church. So I think you're right. And here we are, two years later. Come on, somebody. I don't know what the heck has happened, but God spoke, right? You know, just two weeks ago, I'm not saying this to be about the numbers, but just two weeks ago, we had 175 people at St. Church. And we planted during 2020 when we had to social distance, be six feet apart. I'm like, hey, great to meet you from over there. Hi. And somehow God has breathed this whole thing into existence. But it couldn't have happened unless the Holy Spirit was behind it. It couldn't happen unless the fresh winds started blowing in Cedar Falls. And I'm just praying that that wouldn't, I'm praying we wouldn't settle for yesterday's victories though, right? We've had some great stories. I've shared some great stories tonight of the prophetic. God's done great things in Chi Alpha, but this morning I was on a prayer walk. I was walking around a pond at, at Bertzel Park, and I felt like God gave me a word for our group, for, for Chi Alpha. And it's a very simple word, nothing crazy, but I felt like the Lord said, 
tell Chi Alpha that they're only scratching the surface of what I want to do. I believe that's true. We're only scratching the surface, right? Our best days are not behind us. I don't want whenever I preach to be like, oh yeah, Daniel's talking about the glory days. No, no, no. The best is yet to come. I believe that. I believe that God is raising up people in this room. I believe it. I believe God is going to do the supernatural on our campus, that some of you are going to begin to step out in faith. There's going to be someone in your class and you're like, I got a prophetic word for them. You're going to share it with them. It's going to be something that that you shouldn't know. You're going to share it with them and it's going to cause them to repent and turn to Jesus. I believe there are going to be people walking around with casts on. You're going to pray for them. They're going to get healed. I believe that in Jesus' name. I believe that everything that's happened over these last couple of years with the political polarization, with COVID, all this stuff is setting us up for revival. I believe it. But God is looking to and fro across the earth saying, who can I blow my spirit on? Who is open for it? Who's ready to step into what I have for them? Can we be that group? Can we be a group that says, I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. I'll be open to whatever you want to do in my life. If you want to give me a prayer language, I'm up for it. If you want to give me a prophetic word, I am up for it. If you want me to pray for somebody who I don't know, I'll pray for that person. Can we be that community? God is looking for some people who are willing to step out and say whatever you have for me. All right, can we stand all across this room? I want to go into a time of prayer here to close this out. just a simple response tonight. You know, maybe like all this stuff is kind of weird for you. And I get it if it's weird. I totally get it. Some of the stuff maybe was over your head. You're like, I don't know what prophetic is. And he's talking about it a lot. And I'm tired. I got a test tomorrow. He just zip it already. I get it, right? I don't know where you're at tonight. But here's my encouragement. If I give you one, like, let's boil this down. I just want to encourage you to be open to whatever God wants to do. And when you read something in scripture, I want you to be open to it in your own life and say, God, if you did it then, you can do it again. That's my encouragement. So if that's you, if you're like, hey, God, I want more. Maybe it's not the prophetic. Maybe it's something else that you want more. Can you just stick your hand out in front of you? Just like, like like this, you know, no one's looking at you, but just stick your hands out in front of you and just be open. Say, God, I'm ready to receive. See, this is why I need a, a lapel mic, but hey, just like your hands like this, okay? And just begin to ask God, pray in your own words, pray in your heart, whatever, say, God, I want more. I want more. Begin to pray that. I'm going to pray out loud as you pray in your heart. Okay, so Jesus, right now, all across this room, I'm looking out, God, and there's a group of hungry young people. Lord Jesus, all the great moves of God that you've done throughout history have been through young people. God, I just believe that this group might be one of those groups of people that you want to do something amazing through. And Jesus, I pray right now that for those that want more, that you would give them more. God, I pray that that you show them the next step, Jesus. You know, maybe someone tonight, the next step is putting their faith in you, Jesus. Maybe they're just going to put their faith in you for the first time. Or maybe they're going to step into the gift of prophecy, or they're going to ask for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it is, but God, tonight we come to you and we say we want more. So Jesus, do it here. Holy Spirit, blow all across this room. Lord, we need a fresh wind in this house. Do a new thing in our generation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're about to sing. And I'm just going to tell you, we got to sing this with all we got. We can't talk about the Holy Spirit and then just be like, yeah, Jesus. No, let's sing. Come on. Sing it from like deep within you. Let's worship God with everything we got. Let's give him our all. Let's give him everything we got. And then we can walk out of here and go and be the people that God's called us to be. All right. So let's worship one more time.